Thank you for joining us today. In this message, Pastor Bernie preaches about some men and women that God used for His purpose that are not usually recognized. We hope that you are encouraged in the sermon, Unsung Heroes. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. He has blessed us abundantly above and beyond what we could ask or think. Hallelujah. I just praise Him this morning for that. Heroes of the faith. Well, we got some heroes among us, don't we? We always hear about heroes and famous heroes, and uh, we usually esteem them higher than we do other people. They usually are the people that we use to set an example. It encourages us. It challenges us to achieve, to excel above what we would otherwise probably settle for. When we see people that we consider to be heroes, we set that as a benchmark, as something that we strive for. Uh, But when we think of famous people, famous heroes, I don't know who your famous hero may be. Uh, In school, they teach Uh, In American history, a lot of famous people that we consider to be heroes, people like General George Washington, who led us in uh, uh, forming our nation as an independent nation, Andy Jackson, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, depending on which side of the Mason Dixon you're on, Robert E. Lee, Theodore Roosevelt and the Rough Riders, we think of Douglas MacArthur, George Patton, one of my all-time favorites was Sergeant York. If you've never seen that movie, brother, you need to get that movie. It's an old black and white movie about a Tennessee boy that was a marksman. And uh, God just miraculously saved the man. I don't know if the story on the movie is exactly accurate, but a bolt of lightning hit his rifle and killed his mule because he was on his way to kill a man who had cheated him. I mean, he was a mean man. And instead of going to the man's house and killing him, he walked into the church and gave his life to Christ. And... As a result of that, he was drafted into the Army as America entered World War II. And uh, he went in as an objective observer because he believed it was wrong to kill people. And uh, he met a commanding officer once they found out what a good marksman he was. They wanted him to teach other people how to shoot their rifle. And uh, he gave him a book to read. And he went up on the mountain and got before God wondering what he should do. And uh, he read the passage of Scripture that says, Render unto Caesar that which is of Caesar. Render unto God the things that are of God. And so he decided to enter the war. As a result of that, he saved hundreds of lives uh, with his marksmanship. Uh, He wasn't really proud of the fact, but he he shot a lot of enemy combatants. And as a result of that, he saved hundreds, maybe thousands of lives. And also, single-handed, took captive quite a few uh, German prisoners. More than he and his little squadron of men could handle. They had to turn them over to some other people. And uh, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor as a result of that. So we think of people like that. In recent days, we think of uh, Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf. How many of you know who Stormin Norman is in Desert Storm? Um, But uh, I think about these famous men. But what about those that you never hear about? You know, because there's a lot of heroes that fell on the battlefield that did heroic things. Nobody lived to come back and tell about it, you know. So there's a lot of uh, heroes in our midst that we don't really know about. And I had a PowerPoint projection this morning, and the devil got in that thing, and it shut the computer down every time we tried to show it. So I'll try to just tell you about it from memory. 
um, I think Sister Gail or someone sent me an email this week. I forwarded it to several people about an unsuspected, unsung hero. Um, some of you know the actor Lee Marvin. Who, who knows who I'm talking about? Lee Marvin, the actor. Some of the younger people may not know. He was, I don't even know some of the movies he played in. Did he play in The Dirty Dozen, I think, in some war movies or something? I don't know. But he was an actor. Uh, and when he, when he died, he was buried in the Arlington National Cemetery next to three and four-star generals. And when you visit his tombstone, all it says is his name and his rank and, and nothing else. And people thought, well, why are they burying him beside four-star generals? I mean, he's just an actor. What's the big deal, you know? But what most people doesn't know is that he was a war hero. He served in the United States Marine Corps. And he was on the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carsons, and, and he interviewed him. And he said, he said uh, Lee, most people may not know that you were in the initial surge at Iwo Jima and that you were critically injured, but yet you held down that hot position and saved quite a few lives and uh, was decorated as a war hero. Uh, he was the winner of the Navy Cross. And as some of you may know, that is the, there's only one award higher than that, and it's the Medal of Honor. And uh, his response was like, yeah, yeah, he said, I, I got the medal. He said, but uh, he said, that was nothing compared to uh, my sergeant. said, he was by far the bravest man I ever knew. He said, uh, that crazy guy said, he stood up on Red Beach and drew enemy fire while he advanced his men forward to get them off of the beach. And said he did that on more than one occasion. Uh, he said, my sergeant, he was by far the bravest man I ever knew, Sergeant Keishan. He said his name was Bob Keishan. Most of you in the world knows him as Captain Kangaroo. How many of you know who Captain Kangaroo is? Huh? When I was a kid, five years old, he was a, a children's TV show host. Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Green Jeans, and I think there might have been a moose in there, uh, Bo Winkle and Rocky the Squirrel and all those little guys, you know. And when I read that, I thought, Captain Kangaroo was a, a war hero, a brave guy. I'm like, what is up with that? I mean, that is an unsung, uh, uh, unexpected hero, you know, that you would never think. And as I read on in this email, said there was another little wimpy guy you would never dream was a war hero. Mr. Rogers was a decorated Vietnam vet. He was a Navy SEAL. He had 25 confirmed kills to his name, which he was not proud of. But when he came back from Vietnam, he became an ordained Presbyterian minister and vowed he would never harm another human being. He wore long sleeve sweaters to cover up all the tattoos on his forearms and biceps. He became a pacifist and spent the rest of his life dedicated to directing children in the right path. And we know him for his wit and charm. So there's a lot of heroes that you may not suspect in our midst. Uh, last sermon that I preached, uh, we looked at a famous person in the book of Judges, a man by the name of Gideon. And we also looked at the people that he had to deal with. Uh, the message was titled, Prou uh, Proud, Political, or Persistent. And in that message, we saw that God didn't use proud people. He used people that were just simple, ordinary people, just like you and I. Because if you remember, after they went to war and 
God made him reduce his forces from uh, 3,000 to 300, arrayed against an enemy of 32,000. After 22,000 of them kill themselves and 10,000 are fleeing from 300 men, he goes to the tribe of Ephraim, if you recall. Ephraim was the largest tribe in all of Israel. And they said, they've split, part of the group went that way and part went this way. You go after that group and we're going after these. And Ephraim was upset with Gideon and rebuked him, wanted to know why didn't you call us when it was time to go to the war. Because they were the biggest, they were the best, they had all the, wheel, the whistles and buttons and bells. You know. And from that we learned that God doesn't necessarily use the big things you know that we consider big things i mean he uses big churches i don't want to convey that message he does but he doesn't use necessarily the the big people that you might think he would use he may use somebody just like you to do something extraordinary he doesn't use the proud we also learned that he didn't use the political because Gideon and his men was hungry if you remember they went to Sukkoth and Penuel and asked for food and they kind of went let's see who's going to win this fight because they were political it's like, let's say you got 300 and you're chasing 10,000. We're not going to help you because if you go lose this battle, they're going to come back and get us. <laughs> so they wouldn't help them. And because of that, Gideon went and, of course, defeated the army. He came back and he drug one group through a bunch of briars and he tore down the other one's tower and, and killed him. So uh, politics doesn't always work. Amen? So we got, saw that God didn't use the proud. He didn't use the political, but he used the persistent. He used men like Gideon, men just like you and I. Uh, those that will not be dissuaded, even though they face impossible odds. Doing things like building a new church building in the middle of a recession. You know, taking a handful of people and going to Louisa and putting on a, a thing. And 3,000 people come through your ranks wanting to know what's going on and who's doing this. And you do that with a handful of people. You know, you go down here on five, uh, 250 and build a place where you... Make a gift to the community and tell them about Jesus with a handful of people. Don't know how you're going to get it done. And God raises up other people to come alongside of you and help you. Yeah. Tell people about Jesus in a brand new way, you know, a way that's not offensive or threatening to them. So God uses us, folks. And you never know that. Let's just, let me just digress here a little bit. Suppose you decide, I'm going to go to the Bethlehem Walk and I'm going to help these folks out. But I'm really not like a preacher or a counselor. I can't sing. I mean, I might cook something. And you're there and a conversation maybe comes up and you start talking about the, man, that bean casserole was extra good tonight. And that conversation leads into who you are, where you're from. And somehow in that thing, you give your testimony to somebody and it touches their heart. And somewhere along the way, because that seed you sowed, it seemed like a small thing to you pretty insignificant, that person gives their heart to Jesus. And the power of God comes into their life, and they become a blazing evangelist for the cause of Christ. And they go out and win thousands of souls for Jesus. Who gets the credit for that? That lady cooking that bean casserole, brother, they shared her faith with that person. A hero nobody ever knows or hears about. Amen? But one day we'll know, won't we? When they shout it from the housetops. Amen. The bad things you do, which <laughs> we don't want to hear that. But the good things you do also. Amen. So uh, 
there's a lot of heroes among us that even though we're tired, the odds are arrayed against us, we're exhausted, but we're still in pursuit. Amen? Famous people. Now, there were other, uh, other ju- judges that were famous heroes, and we're going to look at a couple this morning real quickly. There was Ehud who fought the Moabites. He killed Eglon. If you remember, he was left-handed. He shoved the sword into his belly so far that he sucked the handle all the way in. <laughs> I don't know if it was a short sword or a big man. I don't know which it was. I never figured that out. Then there was Deborah and Barak. That's one of my favorite stories there in the book of Judges. Uh, Barak is chasing uh, Sisera, the Canaanite general. And uh, again, they're arrayed against an army that they, they, they're no match for. And he says, Deborah, I'm not going unless you're going with me. And Deborah says, okay, I'll go with you, Barak. But she was a prophetess. She said, but God's not going to deliver Caesarea into your hands, but he will deliver him into the hands of a woman. And so she takes him out, and this military general should, should know what to do, but he didn't hear from God. Amen? Sometimes we need to hear from God because our plan's not his plan. Sometimes his plan's better than our plan. Amen? And his plan makes more sense to him, but it don't always make more sense to us because she told him, says, we're going to do the battle in this valley. Well, this is not the place you want to do battle because it's swampy. You can't get traction. You can't stand there. And Barak's like, you know, we want to do battle on the high ground. I mean, most armies want to fight on the high ground. Amen? She says, no, God says do the battle in the valley. But what God knew was their chariots are going to get stuck down in that swamp. And now we're going to be equal because Israel didn't have chariots. The Canaanites did. So their chariots got stuck, and all of the Canaanites got off the chariots and started running. And when they did, Barak and his army started chasing them. Well, Caesarea got away from them, the general. And he goes into this city, and there was a lady by the name of Jael. Everybody say Jael. You don't want a Jael in your life. Because Jael said, come on in, Caesarea. Yeah, come on into my tent. So he comes in. He's like, I'm going to lay down here and take a nap because I'm tired. He said, if anybody comes to the tent and asks, is there a man in your tent, you lie to him. You tell him no. She said, sure. So she gives him a glass of milk. He lays down and goes to sleep. She goes and gets a hammer and a tent spike and drives it through his head. You don't want a JL in your life. Amen. So she was a greater hero than Barak. Then we heard about Jephthah. He was the son of a harlot. Um, one of those people that you don't want in your group, you know, the outcast. Uh, the crowd of people that they hung out with wasn't the crowd, crowd of people that we might hang out with, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, the army started coming against them, and uh, they couldn't deal with them. But now, Jephthah, he was a thug. I mean, he was just a brawler. And so now they need some guy that's just b- b- bad to the bone, you know, like Jephthah. So they go and get Jephthah and say, will you come and fight with us? He's like, oh, now you need me, huh? All right, I'll come and fight, but I'm going to be your ruler. They're like, whatever, brother, just we need you. You know, so he comes and brings all of his bad boys with him and defeats the army. Uh, And while he's in battle, he made a very foolish vow, if you remember that story. He said, God, if you give me this battle, when I get home, the first thing that comes from my house, I will give it to you as a sacrifice. And when he returned home, his one and only daughter come running out the door to meet him. Uh, many lessons we can learn from that. Then we found another famous general, about the, uh, 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 leader, by the name of Samson. And you know the story about Samson. He was the strongest man. He ripped the door, off, the gate off of the city, uh, defeated thousands of men with the jawbone of an ass. He 
ripped a lion's mouth apart with his bare hands. I mean, brother, when the anointing of God comes upon you, <laughs> a lion? Hey, I've watched those critters on TV, you know. This one lady, she shot a lion. I don't know if y'all have ever seen this show or not. It's a hunting show. And wounded this thing. And a wounded lion is a very, very dangerous thing. So now they got these professional hunters. There's about five of them lined up. And they're going in to finish this lion off. And one of the professional hunters says, this lion will pick out a single individual and he will go straight for that person. They won't even look at anything else but his target. And sure enough, man, that thing came out of that thicket. And you could see the bullets hitting the side of that thing. And it didn't even break stride. And the guy that it was going for knelt down, took aim. And when he shot that lion, it slid into him and knocked him down. And this thing's head was bigger than his midsection. He was a right big guy. you got to understand how big these things are. But Samson, when the anointing of God came upon him, he had strength that was just unbelievable. And so he was another famous hero. But there were other judges that you really don't hear much about. There were six of them actually called the minor judges. There was Shamgar. There was Tola, Jair, Ibzan, Elon and Abdon, and we're not going to go into all of those, but there are two of them that I want to look at this, re- this morning. And uh, the reason that they are called minor judges is because they were not great military leaders like Deborah and, and Gideon and Barak and those folks, Jephthah and Samson. But what I want you to see this morning is just because you are not famous doesn't mean you're not a hero. Are you hearing me, church? Just because you're not famous doesn't mean you're not a hero. If you found your place in Judges chapter 10, I want you to read with me. Verse 1. It says, And after Amalek, everybody say Amalek. And after Amalek there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dada. I looked that pronunciation up. I used to call him Dodo. I was like, who would want a dad named Dodo? What's your dad's name? My dad's name Dodo. I'm Dodo's boy. It was actually Dada, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamer in Mount Ephraim, and he judged Israel 20 and 2 years and died and was buried in Shemar. And after him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and judged Israel 20 and 2 years. And he had 30 sons that rode on 30 ass colts and, in the, uh, and had 30 cities, which are called Havath Jair, which means the city of Jair, unto this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Canaan. Verse 6, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, And the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistine, and forsook the Lord, and served not him. Let's pray. Father, your word is always yes and amen. God, there is a lesson in it for every season of our life. God, you said all scripture is given by your inspiration, and it is profitable. So, Lord, I know this morning that there is a word in this passage for us today. And God, I pray that you just give me the anointing to bring it out, Lord. I pray that every word would hit its target, God, that it would bring glory and honor to you. God, it would empower us, God. It would challenge us, Lord. It would evoke in us something 
to go out and make a difference in the world around us. So, Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you speak this morning. Lord, remove me from this, O God, and let Jesus be seen high and lifted up. Now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we think of heroes this morning, we typically think of people that have done great and notable acts of heroism. Men like Jason L. Dunham. Some of you may have seen this man's name mentioned recently on the news channel. Jason L. Dunham was the first man to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor since the Vietnam era. Um, sometime during uh, the invasion of Iraq, the Iraqi freedom, uh, there was a grenade thrown into a group of men. And Jason Dunham, a 22-year-old uh, young man from I think it's Cecil, New York, if I pronounced that right, uh, took his Kevlar helmet and threw it on the grenade and then threw his body on it and gave his life to save the lives of his comrades. And uh, certainly is a hero. And there's nothing that I would want to say this morning to diminish what he did in, in any way. Uh, he is worthy of the Medal of Honor and he is worthy of our respect yeah. and honor for the sacrifice that he gave. In fact, America is honoring the sacrifice of uh, Mr. Dunham to the point that they have built a new um, uh, battleship and just christened it January of 2009, uh, the USS Jason Dunham. Uh, it bears his name. So when we think of heroes, we typically think of people like that who have done great deeds of honor and great acts of honor. Uh, but what we fail to see is that there are many other heroes around us, not because of any single act of heroism, but because of a lifelong history of little things that they do every single day, day in and day out. Those small but crucial acts. And this was the case of Tola and Zaire, the two men that we read about in the book of Judges. It said in verse 5, And Jair died and was buried in Cainon. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served these false gods. And they forsook the Lord and served Him not. When we read that passage of Scripture about these two judges, what does that tell me? That tells me that together these two men led that nation in the things of God for 45 years. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but to me, that is heroic. How many of you this morning would like to have somebody lead our nation for 45 years in the things of God? Would you consider that to be a hero? Amen. I would. I mean, we look back through history at our leaders. We have some people we consider to be heroes, but there's a lot of them missing when it comes to leading us in the things of God. Amen. I mean, I, I don't know that I could look at 45 years of American history and say we've had a leader in there to lead us in the things of God. Well, I mean, we like to talk about Ronald Reagan, and we look at him like he was a good president, man. I mean, we brag about him. He was a great president, but he pales in comparison to these two men that you hardly ever hear about. I mean, who is Tola? Who is Jair? But yet they were great heroes because they did something heroic, not in a single act like Gideon. I mean, Gideon goes out in one great big act. He becomes a very famous hero. And I'm, I don't diminish that or take from it, but I mean, hello. These guys led the nation for almost 50 years 
in the things of God. My goodness, folks, that's heroic. They were heroes, unknown people that make a difference. How did they make a difference? Well, you have to look and consider what they were facing. Look at the mess that they inherited. Because it starts out in verse 1, it says, And after Abimelech, say Abimelech again. After Abimelech, uh, there arose to defend Israel, Tola, the son of Pua. Now, the word Tola actually means crimson worm. How would you like to be named after a worm? What's your name, Bob? A worm. But actually, a crimson worm was a worm that it was, a, I think, a cuckooist worm that they found in the oak tree, and it was used to make red dye that they would use to dye cloth scarlet in cover, in, in color. His father's name, Pua, actually meant light. And if you looked at really the meaning of his name, his name was the son of light dressed in scarlet. Who does that sound like? It sounds like the church, folks. Because we are to be the light of the world. Amen? We are the son of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We're the son of light and we are a royal priesthood, a holy people. Dressed in a scarlet robe as, in a sense. So he was a type of the church. And when he inherited this thing, it was a mess, folks. Abimelech. Abimelech was Gideon's boy. All right. He was born to Gideon by a concubine. So it was just a woman that he had brought in for sexual pleasure. She was kind of like a streetwalker in a sense, kind of. But she just had one client, Gideon if you know what I mean. And so he wasn't really accepted among the brotherhood. There was 70 of these children. And so after Gideon died, Abimelech went running back home to his, in, to his mother's family. He didn't go to Gideon, his father's family, but he went back to the concubine's family. So he goes running home to grandma and grandpa on mama's side, all right, to all of his cousins and aunts and uncles. And he says, hey, hey, listen, listen. Do you want to be ruled by 69 other people that's not related to you? Or do you want to be ruled by one that is related to you? And they said, oh, because we are with you. And so they made him king of Israel. They gave him 70 pieces of silver. And with that, he went out and bought 70 thugs to go with him to murder his 69 brothers. He murdered all of them but one, Jotham. Jotham escaped him. And later on, Jotham stands on a hill and he pronounces a curse on Abimelech. His family was from the area called Shisham. They were the, the tribe of Manasseh. All right? So Jotham stands up and says, You will persecute Shisham, and Shisham shall persecute you. Just cut short, that's what he told him. And as it turned out, after two years of Abimelech just ruining the nation, they, uh, the, the children of Shisham, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles, and all those folks, they turned against him and his group of thugs. And civil war broke out in Israel. And now the country is ripped apart in civil war. And after he died, actually was killed by the Shishamites, after that, Tola comes in and he was the defender of Israel. And he has got a nation that is in shattered pieces. That's what he inherited. So you have to kind of understand the mess that he started out with. Now, uh, 
that is not so much different uh, from what you and I face today. Folks, I mean, we got a nation that's in a mess. Folks, regardless of our history, spiritually speaking, America is in a spiritual mess today. We would like very much for Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our nation, but I'm afraid that that is not true. The representation of Christ in our nation is not what we would like for it to be. But what we can see in this story is even though the nation was in a mess, God still had a remnant in that nation. And what I want you to see today is it doesn't matter what kind of a mess our nation is today, there is still a remnant in America. There are still people that love God. There are still people that serve Him. Folks, there are still people that have a prayer closet that go and get on their knees and intercede for this nation and repent for this nation and ask God to bless this nation. The Bible says that lawlessness is already at work in the land. Only he that letteth will let until he be taken away. It's talking about the church. The reason God's wrath is not poured out on this nation today is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. The world doesn't know that. You are a hero, my friend, because you hold back the wrath of God because of your presence. But when the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise and we that are alive and remain are caught up in the air, brother, lawlessness is going to be released on this earth like nobody has ever seen before because the heroes will be gone. It's going to be a bloodbath like this nation this world has never seen. When the Antichrist takes rule. But while we're here, brother, we hold it at bay. Amen? There's always been a remnant. And even though sometimes we stand, think we stand alone, there's a lot of folks that still love Jesus Christ. And He's real in their life. They have a relationship with Him. They know Him. They still sing and shout His praises. They still go out and tell people about His saving power. Amen? So we see the mess that they inherited. We have to look at the ministry that they performed and know that they weren't alone and we aren't either. Elijah thought he was by himself. Remember that? Goes out and sits under the juniper tree and has a big old pout and party. I did that one time. I really did, man. I'd, I'd had it up past here, brother. I, just, I was just ready to quit. Preach a sermon on that one time. I, you can ask Jeannie. I pulled up in the yard. I didn't want to talk to God. I didn't want to talk to my wife. I didn't want to talk to y'all. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I walked down to the, my shed. I got my camping gear together, and I just walked off down through the woods feeling all sorry for myself. I wasn't going fast either. I took food with me. <laughs> just everybody leave me alone. That includes you too, God. I built me a campfire, and I sat there. I said, I'm going to focus on one thing. Put another stick on that fire and eat. And I sat there by the south end of the river, that fire blazing. I just sat there feeling sorry for myself. Just like Elijah sitting under his lip all poked out. I'm all alone, God. You remember the angel came and cooked food, gave it to him. Remember that? Mad at God. You ever been mad at God? He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He loves you more than you can imagine. Loves me more than I can imagine. Here I am pouting at him, mad at him, disrespecting him, sitting under my juniper tree. 
This is not a part of my sermon, but I'm going to go with it anyway. And I sat there, church, and the light from that fire is all I had. Beaver going kapoom in the river, you know. I was enjoying that too. And I looked. I hate they cut this tree down because they cleared the land next to me. I asked the guy, please leave that one tree. He didn't do it, heathen. Pray for him. It was a beech tree. You ever seen a beech tree? The bark's real white. Never seen a beech tree like this before. Huge trunk. Thing must have been like, I don't know, this big around. And it came up, and instead of two forks like this, it had three perfect forks, all the same size, just like that. And soon as I looked around and I saw it and the light hit it, the Spirit of God spoke to me. It represented three in one. And it was right behind me. God said, son, I'm still watching over you. I have not forsaken you. And God healed my heart that night. Gave me a new vision, a new passion, new strength to press on. That's been about eight years ago and I'm still here. Amen. Little Abby was standing up here this morning. You see how big she was? Did she go out with Children's Church? That's our first baby dedication. I measure the growth of the church by her. That's how, that's how big the church is. Amen. What's your first baby dedication? Amen. Well, I don't, think, I don't know where I got off track here. Let me see. Where was I? I'm, you don't mind if I have a little fun up here, do you? The ministry that they performed, they didn't lead great armies. They didn't lead great military camp, campaigns. But what they did still challenges us today. They faithfully led a nation for almost 45 years. And that is heroic. Just because you're not famous doesn't mean that you are not a hero. I got up this morning. I had finished all my notes. And, Joel, I was thinking about Tecumseh. How many of you know who Tecumseh is? You know what a Tecumseh engine is, don't you? Well, Tecumseh was an engine. Well, he was an Indian. Actually, he was a great Indian chief up in the northeast part of our country. And he united... The Indian tribes had never been done before. They see all these white men coming and they're taking their land and they're defeating them in the battle and they know they can't stand alone. And he was a smart man. He knew that if he could unite the nations together, the Indian nations, that we might stand a chance. And he did. And they posed a great threat. The Anada, I think, the, uh, the Seneca, the Huron, the Iroquois, I don't know who all they were, but up in that part of the world, and he united them. And he was a smart man, but he wasn't an educated man. Because if he'd been an educated man, he would have known that this force that he is facing is bigger than just what's in front of him. There is an entire nation that has better armor. They have warships. They have artillery. If he'd have been educated, he would have known he could not defeat the army by force. He was a smart man, but not an educated man. And so as I began to think on that, and it was totally apart from my sermon, I was like, Lord, why is, this, why is this coming to my mind? And then I thought about Martin Luther King. It was another ethnic group that was being oppressed and pushed down. He was not only a smart man, he was an educated man. He knew we can't win the victory by force. So he taught a nonviolent approach to overcoming this battle. Now, he's a great hero. He's not somebody we haven't heard of. But the concept is something I think that is important here because he learned that we have to use the system to defeat the system. 
And Christians today, I think, are finally getting a hold of the fact that the way we're going to bring God back in the nation is we got to take the nation over. For a long time, Christians didn't want to get involved in politics. You have to. You can't defeat them out here beating your Bible on the street corner. We've tried that. You've got to go in and change legislation and put God back into the nation. And so I just thought that's a concept that made sense, you know. Tecumseh failed, whereas Martin Luther King and, uh, succeeded. And the, the difference wasn't that, that they weren't smart men. They weren't educated men. So we need to educate ourselves a little bit better about how we're going to make a difference in and around us. Get, folks, we need to get involved. You know, that means getting out in the community doing something. Let Jesus be seen. You know, and if need be, go up there to the courthouse and become a county supervisor or something. I don't know. Governor, I'll vote for you. Amen. Jim Mann for president. How's that sound? Not good. (laughs) Amen. Well, let's move along here and I'm going to conclude. They stood for God in in an evil day. You don't have to be a famous person to make a difference. Tola and Jair, they're not well-known men, but their lives made a difference for thousands of people in the land of Israel in that day. And the same thing is true today. Some people may think that God can't use me because nobody knows me. I mean, who am I? How could God use me? But just remember this. When God called you, He knew everything about you, right? I've made this point before. It's like, God, why did you call me? And then, it, then I understood, God, you knew all the mistakes I would make. You knew all the dumb things I would do. You knew all the questions that I would have, the doubts, the fears, the failures. You knew all of that. And still, you chose me. And when that became a reality to me, I, I realized, God, you can use me. And you didn't make a mistake. You, you knew what you were getting into. I mean, he, knew, he knows the deal, all right? God's not stupid. He knows you. He knows right where you are. He knows right, exactly what you're doing. And when he is ready for you to do something different, he's going to come to you, he's going to call you, and he's going to empower you to do things you never dreamed you could ever do. That's a word from the Lord. He will empower you to do things you never thought you could do. I never thought I could plant a church and pastor a church. Just a little old mountain boy just wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. But God does things for his glory and his honor, and he gets all the glory and the honor for that. So God, when he's ready to give you an assignment, he's going to let you know. He's like, well, what do I do now, pastor? You continue to do the last thing he told you to do. Amen. That was another revelation that set me free, brother. Because how many people have come to me? It's like, Pastor, I just don't know what God wants me to do. How many people are asking that question? Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, what's the last thing he told you to do? You figure that out and just keep doing it. Right? That's what they did in the Bible. What was David doing when God called him? Tending sheep. What was he doing after he anointed him? He went back to tending sheep. And when it was time, God called on him. When he found Elisha, he's out there with a yoke of oxen. Just doing what he's supposed to do. And it was time. God called him. 
Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, what were they doing? Fishing nets. You just do what you know to do, and when God is ready for you, He will call you. You don't have to accomplish great deeds to live extraordinary lives. Tola and J.R. never did anything extraordinary. But their lives still testify to us today. Most of us will never be famous heroes. Probably. I may not ever see your name on the side of a battleship. You know, and that, again, I'm not taking away from that. God bless that young man. And I, I don't mean that in any negative way whatsoever. God honor him. But most of us will never see our name on the side of a battleship. But folks, you can make a difference in a lot of lives just the same. We may never accomplish great things after the world's standards. But even though you may not accomplish this, what this world calls great, your life is still heroic. If you live for Jesus, you faithfully serve His church. You love people. Raise your family on the things of God. Teach them to honor God. Honor His Word. Tell lost people about Jesus. Then God will look at you like a hero. Nobody else may ever see it. But friend, I promise you, you'll be a hero to God. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet if you would, please?